Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I imagine that they're illegal now um, because psychotropics probably do the work for them, but there used to be such a thing as straight jackets. I went to high school in Elgin, Illinois, and that's where the state hospital was. And straight jackets were material that you put on that kept you from harming anybody else, harming yourself. You know, you were just in a straight jacket. And it's a good analogy for what our culture is like today. Political correctness is a straight jacket that's put on you Every time you go on Facebook, every time you read tweets, every time you go into a classroom, every time you go anywhere and say anything, every time you even are looked at by someone, you are immediately put in a straitjacket where you are to be politically correct because if you're not, everybody will disapprove of you. You know, they'll go... You know, they'll, they'll, they'll have a variety of ways of telling you that you are persona non grata, that you are disgusting, that you are stupid, that you must not have a degree, that you probably live in a single wide, not even a double wide, and you're probably cooking crystal meth at home. And this is our world today. Our world today does not use drugs and it doesn't use canvas to swaddle us. It uses people's perceptions and their judgments and, and vocabulary and, and everything. Everything in this world is carefully, carefully put together so that you never, 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 never hurt anybody's feelings. And so everybody today is pandered to. Everybody's flattered. Everybody lives a cosseted life. And you don't know the word cosseted because you're cosseted. And if you knew the word cosseted, you know it's not a good thing. And so you don't know the word cosseted. Do you know the word coddled? Well, cosseted and coddled are sort of synonyms. In other words, everybody is put in a position carefully where they know precisely how everybody around them feels and what will make them feel badly. And then the people who are best able to keep you from ever feeling badly are made the comedians. But of course, that's not true. The comedians are the only people that are allowed to take risks anymore. The people who are best able to keep you in a straitjacket and keep you from ever feeling badly are hired as pastors. Either that or English professors. And when you get so good as a pastor at not ever making anybody feel badly, then you go on the lecture circuit. But if you go off the reservation when you're out on the lecture 
circuit. You're fired. You become persona non grata because, after all, what is Christianity but a way of making sure that everybody feels good about themselves? Do you understand this? And this is what people actually think. My sister, she actually thinks that this is what Jesus came to do. I love her, but she's deluded. Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus is making people feel bad about themselves all the time. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You go across heaven and earth to make a single convert, and then you turn him into twice the son of hell. You are yourselves. You whitewashed sepulchers. And Jesus said things like this all the time. Even as close as 12, Jesus was constantly saying to them, Oh, you of little faith, which was not a compliment. Now, the reason I say this to you is because you have come into a sacred place today, and this is the church of Jesus Christ. I will not flatter you because I am unfaithful to my calling when I do that. Okay? And so you have to rejigger yourself, you know? If you try to put it in third when it's time for second, it might grind if any of you have ever driven a standard transmission. You need to get the right gear. The right gear here is a heart that is open to the Bible. Because my job is to proclaim the Bible. My job is not to read the Bible. My job is not to suggest the Bible. My job is not to change the Bible. My job is not to whittle away at the Bible or to flower it up with, like, say, for instance, pepper jelly or extra sharp cheddar, (laughs) my job is to give it to you straight. And it will be like that. The Bible itself refers to itself as not just the word of God, but also a hammer and a fire. Always when God speaks, people cringe and plead for mercy. And so preaching that's faithful to scripture, as opposed to being faithful to the straitjacket, the cosseted culture we live in, is preaching that hits us hard because we're not used to being treated honestly because we spend our lives on Facebook. And Facebook is for posers. Everything you write on Facebook is carefully prepared to burnish your image. Okay, that's what Facebook is. This is not Facebook. This is the word of God speaking to us. Now you say, well, yeah, but you're the one that's talking. And I say, yes, God has been pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save you. And you say, well, why didn't God just save me himself? Why do you have to use you? You're white. And I could keep going with all the reasons God shouldn't use me. I know them all. I've heard them many times through the years. They're telling our people that I'm a misogynist. That's the word they're using. Now, you all know what a misogynist is, right? Well, I'm going to prove them right this morning. Okay? But I tell you, the reason that I get called a misogynist is that I love women and they hate them. In our world, you cannot love women without defending them against the attacks of this world. And you say, oh, yeah, you can. And I say, no, you can't. 
Do you know what women my whole life have been saying to me when I ask them what they do? This is a direct quote. I don't know. I've heard it probably hundreds of times. I ask a young mother, what do you do? And she says, nothing. I'm just a housewife. And I say, oh, I guess that means that you sit at home eating bonbons, watching soap operas on Facebook. And it's ludicrous. They're sitting there nursing their baby, wishing they could clean the kitchen and that they could do the laundry and that they could teach their five-year-old his, his multiplication tables. And then they're supposed to be pretty when the husband gets home. Listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed that God made us male and female. I am not ashamed of motherhood, and I am not ashamed of my wife. And I will not let them destroy motherhood and femininity. And if that makes me a misogynist, more power to them. And we'll see who has God's approval. And I am angry. Now, stand and let's hear the most misogynist text in all of Scripture. All right? This is the word of God, and it is. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I was 30, I entered the ministry, and I had these two very small churches out in the farmland of Wisconsin, about an hour north of Madison. Soon after I got there, I preached from Titus chapter 2, where it says older women teach younger women, and one of the things it tells the older women to teach younger women is to be submissive to their husbands. Another one is to be domestic. Older women teach younger women in the church to what? To be domestic. Now, you know that the word domestic means of and about the home. Domesticity, right? And so I preached the text. I had women elders in my church. I had worked with women pastors in my presbytery. Uh, I'd gone to a seminary where everybody was an inerrantist and everybody signed on to the feminist agenda and they all believed in women pastors and elders. And 
And, you know, Mary Lee and I were feminists when we got married. You know, we were so wise and our parents were so stupid, you know. And so I preached the text because I thought, well, you know, we still need mothers to be devoted to their children. And who can argue with that? It says be domestic. And so I preached that the first priority of a godly woman will be her children and her home. I did not say that no woman should sell things on eBay. I did not say that a woman should not have a part-time job, should not... I didn't say anything about a woman not being outside the home. I just said that the first priority of a godly woman would be home. And when I got done, (laughs) oh man, it was like, welcome to the ministry. And you know who were most angry at me were the people that were most close to me. The people that I loved the most in the church were the ones that were angriest at me. And so, you know, I had to put out all these brush fires. So the pastor gets in his car and goes from home to home and gets beaten about the head by the women of the home, you know. And I remember particularly one woman, her husband was a dairy farmer, was so incensed because she had a neighbor who worked full-time and her child was in daycare. And this neighbor was, had a difficult life for reasons I won't go into. And so she was very disturbed that, this neighbor, who was a part of our church, that, that I had added to the suffering of her life by, by telling her that her commitment should be to the home. Now, mind you, as a pastor, 30 years old, preaching on Titus 2, where it says that older women should teach younger women to, come on, be domestic. I would mind my own business. I was just preaching what the text said. And I was being very sensitive to the particularities of the human condition. But I'm telling you, I was, and so I thought, oh my, I didn't have any idea how bad I was being when I preached that, so I'm going to go over and talk to this friend of this woman, because this woman's furious at me. She's one of our closest friends. I'm going to go over and talk to this other woman and, and tell her I didn't mean anything I said. Well, not quite, but, you know, that's the job of a pastor is to re, redo things that you did wrong the first time. And what you really want to do is lead people to believe that you're sorry that you said what you said, and then next time say it in a way that it won't be as as offensive. So I went over and sat down with her to apologize for hurting her, which is, of course, back to the Facebook issue, the straitjacket, the political correctness. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm a preacher of righteousness. My name is Amos. You are a cow of passion. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm quoting scripture, by the way. And so I went over and sat down, and you know what this woman said to me? This woman said to me, I would give anything, anything, to be able to be home with my children, but my husband makes me work. And that was my first lesson in being faithful to the word of God. I learned right there that my calling from God was not to please my best friend's wife, 
who was offended for another woman. But it was my job to be faithful to the text of Scripture. Okay? 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 Okay. Now, look at this text. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, you could read that and you could think, well, wait a second, this is before the fall, before sin. How can he say something isn't good? And so the way to think about that is, this is incomplete. It's not good in the sense that it's not yet complete, okay? It's not that it's defective. It's not yet fully what it should be. Now, what is not yet complete? What's not yet complete is Adam, because Adam is lacking what? A helper suitable for him. Now, what's that word helper? How many of you would choose companion over helper? Come on, come on, be honest. There's only a few of you that are honest, come on. The truth is, every single woman here Every one of you would prefer to be a companion than a helper. Because every one of you, your desire will be for him. You will strive with him and he shall rule over you. That's the condition after the fall. But Eve was absolutely content and relished and and dove into and luxuriated in being a helper. Helper had no pejorative feeling meaning whatsoever. It was not dissing her to call her a helper. Why? Because it was before sin. Okay? And so the New Living Translation doesn't like it because we live in a feminist culture when it's demeaning to women to be a helper to man. And so they think, well, you know, so Doug Moo was just down at Columbia International University. He gave a, a week-long, I think, lecture series on the authority and inspiration of Scripture. And he's one of the most eminent Bible scholars in the conservative biblical world today. All right? Somebody raise your hand and say, I'm telling, David, am I telling the truth? Yes, yes. So he's a Wheaton professor, right? And he goes down there, and what does he say? He tells the students at Columbia International University... He tells the students that words really don't have meanings. He doesn't say it precisely that way, but that is what he says, and he knows exactly what he's saying. And as it turns out, Doug Moo is on the Committee for Bible Translation of the New National Version, which is a gender-neutered version of Scripture, published by Zondervan, which is owned by News Corp., which is led by Rupert Murdoch. Okay? And so he works for Zondervan. He's not completely under their authority, but Zondervan licensed the text. So here he is as a man who gets paid, paid to translate scripture. And he's now being paid by Columbia Bible College, Columbia International University, to give a lecture series on the authority and inspiration of scripture. And he teaches them that words don't have meanings and that what you really need to do when you're translating the Bible is find your target audience and then craft the text in such a way that it appeals to the people that you want to buy your product. Now, of course, he doesn't say it quite that way. I'm taking a summary I got from a professor at Columbia Bible College. 
who wrote him a letter. Doug Moo. And so here we have men who have said, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, and they come at chapter 2 of the Bible, not 3, 4, 5, 10, 20, not Exodus, Leviticus. They're already at the beginning. It's chapter 2. And they say, no, we can't have him make a helper. We have to have him make a companion. And they take the Hebrew word, follow me, the Hebrew word is ezer, and they change it from what everybody has always known it means, which is helper, and they change it to companion. And everyone here knows precisely why they do it. None of you are dumb. You know it goes down much better. Things go better with Coke. Things go better with feminist language. Then you've got Carolyn Custis James, married at the time to the president of Reform Seminary in Orlando. And she makes a name for and, and her husband is <laughs> Oxford educated with a PhD from Oxford. All right, are you all with me? In other words, this is way high on the pecking scale. And she goes around the country telling everybody that the word ezer in Hebrew means warrior. And no one laughs. <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous. How can I defend my wife? And how can I defend my daughters? And how can I give honor to my mother and my mother-in-law and lie to you about the meaning of the Hebrew word Ezer? You tell me how I do that. And my mother, how can I defend them and lie to you about the meaning of the word Ezer? How can I defend your wife from the attack of Bloomington and lie about the meaning of the word Ezer? How can I do it? How can I defend the widows and the orphans? How can I defend the unborn? How can I defend the elderly who are being starved to death? How can I defend the defective newborn white baby doe who was murdered in our hospital in Bloomington in 1982 and lie about the meaning of the word Ezer? I can't do it. I can't do it. The only way to honor motherhood, wifehood, femininity is to say these people are liars and rebels. And you say, well, can't you find other words that, and I say, there you go again. What do you want me to say? Or you want me to say that they're understanding challenged? They have a certain disability, which is called feminism. <laughs> it removes all understanding and comprehension from the English language. Is that what you want me to do? You want me to get dumb? And then what? You'll go to your comedy clubs and you'll have smart comedians. And smart comedians will never stop telling jokes about womanly men and manly women. You go to an opera at IU, always the plot 
is womenly men and manly women and manipulation and femininity and masculinity. How would you have an opera without masculinity and femininity? With men singing who are women. But that adds a certain sort of cachet to the whole thing. I've been there. I've done that. Listen. Ezer means what? Help. A helper. What does Ezer mean? Helper. You go back to the King James Version and they translate it help meet. Help mate. Now why do they translate it help mate? Well, what is a matey? If you're matey, what are you? What's a mate? A mate is a helper. A mate is somebody that you work next to, right, Joe? Our captain in the Navy. What would you say? Yeah. It's somebody who's helpful. And so help mate, help meet, is the clomping together of the word help companion. So we could say today companion helper, or we could say helper companion, and that would be like the English word a couple centuries ago, help meet. Meet meant suitable for. That's what the word meant, meet, meet meant, M-E-E-T. All right, so then it gets clomped into mate, help mate. That's what it means, a suitable helper, a suitable helper. It doesn't mean companion. As it turns out, woman is companion, and a pretty good one. But that's not her whole calling. Her whole calling is to be a companion in such a way that is helpful to man, to her husband. Now, here's my question for all of you. How's that working out for you? Come on, how's it working out for you? Everybody's sitting there going, nice, nice. Just happy to be here, sir. My marriage is good. Their marriage is good. All of our marriages are just good, good, good because we're Christians and we believe in help me, right? Well, okay, so let's have the benediction. <laughs> Listen, if you're sitting there saying it's working out well, you're a liar, liar, pants on fire, noses as long as a telephone wire. It's not working out well, and the reason is, ever since the fall, the woman has strived with her husband, and the man has ruled his wife. Okay? I thought it was fascinating to read John Calvin's sermons on this text, and by the way, he got to preach two sermons on this text, right? I only get one. All right? And here's what he says, how it's working out five centuries ago, the great reformer. He says this, he says, only cheating and lying, okay, only cheating and lying. If such egregious, such horrible disloyalty is seen anywhere today, it excels in marriage. For Satan is Lord there more than in all the shops and markets in the world. Calvin says that Satan is Lord more in the home than anywhere in business. All right? And so you think, well, that's a one-off. All right, here comes the two-off. He says this. He says, there is no one who does not lie and perjure himself when it comes to marrying. All right, you with me? Then he says, as for men, oh, they will be little angels. And the women, too. And after they are married, 
A day after the wedding, there are devils, for they are like dogs and cats, cats clawing and biting each other. See, you're not laughing. My wife is laughing. She knows this is true. And, but it's not true for you, right? It's not true for you. No, no, no. And so here God made Eve for Adam to be a helpmate. And today we bite and claw and growl at each other. God made Eve so that when she was presented to Adam, they were both naked and unashamed. And now, you alone in your house, alone in your bathroom, with the door closed, have trouble looking at your naked body in a mirror. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. You cannot see your body without feeling the shame that comes because this house for your spirit has been marked with the sign of shame by God after the fall. Animals aren't ashamed of nakedness. The biggest fools in America are the naturists. They think we don't know they're naked. They think that they're living back in the state of perfection. And I've seen some of them, and they're pretty gross. (laughs) But they think it's beautiful. Listen, God is not helped by you lying about the sin in your own heart and in the heart of your husband. God called your husband to love you, and he does not love you. And God called you to submit to your husband, and you do not submit to your husband. And so what are you going to do? Well, you have choice. You know, you can, you can do it the way Tyndale House has and Doug Moo have. You can just, you know, play alphabet soup with the words of Scripture and just rearrange them to conform to your Facebook image. All right, Or you can say, every time you open the Bible, I repent. 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 And you say, well, that gets pretty old after a while. And I say, no, it doesn't. It gets pretty young. I always like to quote Dylan. Ah, But I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Remember Luther? When our Lord said you must repent, he was teaching us that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. This is the one place where you don't have to pose. This is the one place where if you pose, nobody will like you. And that's why nobody here is ever on Facebook. In my dreams. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. You remember God put Adam in authority over the whole earth. God commanded him to subdue and fill and rule the earth. And here God shows it by having him name all the animals. God brings the animals to Adam. Adam names them. You know, Adam is not looking at the elephant and asking 10 other people what they see. Adam knows, elephant. And he says, elephant, right? Best scientist there ever was in the history of man is Adam. He knew every animal perfectly. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds, every beast. But for Adam, there was not found a companion suitable for him. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No, it says a what? A helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Now, how, did, how do we know this? Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So how do we know what God did while Adam was asleep. How? God revealed it to Adam and to Eve, what he had done. Okay? The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Remember, God brought the cattle to the man. Now God brings the woman to the man. It doesn't make the woman a cow. It is not demeaning to the woman for her to be brought to the man to be named. They are equal. They are equal, and one of them has the job of naming and the other to take her glory in the name she's given. It doesn't mean they're not equal. You can have equality and distinction. Okay? The man said, this is now bone of my bones. Was Eve bone of his bones? Was he? Uh, Was she? Yeah. She came from the rib of Adam. So she was literally bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now you know what the word man means. What does the word woman mean? We have a man here this morning who's taking... Now, I know it would be hard for you to imagine what department at the university this class is in, but I'll give you a clue. It's English, all right? He's taking an English literature class where the professor is saying that really what we ought to do is write the word woman and then put a line through it every time we write it. Woman with a line through. Why? Because the central purpose of the university today in the matter of feminism has has become to rebel against God and deny everything God reveals. And so you see the word woman, what do you have? Well, woman comes from man, woman. And what it's doing is pointing to the original Hebrew. Listen to the original Hebrew words. The original Hebrew, for she shall be called woman, that's not Hebrew, here's the the Hebrew. She shall be called Isha, for she came from Ish. That's the Hebrew. She shall be called Isha, for she comes from Ish. Right? Names are important. Names are important. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And so every time a man and a woman get into bed with each other who are husband and wife, and they make love, they are reproducing what happened when God took Eve from Adam. They are becoming one flesh. They're pointing back to God's beautiful creation of woman. And when we look at God's creation of woman, what we see is that all, all people, all through time, every period of history, every continent, every race, everyone, everyone has Adam as his father, including Eve. Do you see that? And Eve is bone of Adam's bone and flesh of Adam's flesh. Probably the most uh, frequently read quote in weddings today is from the Protestant Bible uh, student and preacher named Matthew Henry. And other than scripture, you've heard this probably at weddings. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And you know, I'm looking at your faces, and I have all these men smiling at me right now, because that's their heart. And you say, well, you just got done saying that he's clawing at his wife. And I say, yep, both, both favorites. Both and. That's the nature of our life here on earth. We testify to the truth, and then we do what is wrong. I find this law in me, the law of sin and death. And so then we go to the book of Ephesians and we read this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And what we find out here is that the marriage relationship of man and woman, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, actually is pointing to God. It's actually showing us what our relationship is with God. As Christians, as the church, all through history, God has referred to his covenant people as his bride. The book of Hosea, the whole book in the Old Testament, is an allegory about Hosea and his unfaithful wife and the church of the Old Testament being idolatrous and unfaithful to God. And it works because the church is always feminine with respect to God. Why? Well, because God acts on us. We don't act on God. He calls us. He chooses us. He saves us. He gives himself up for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The husband who doesn't love his wife is a monster. Because he denies the truth of the love of the Father and the Son 
for sinful men and women like you and me. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in most things, except when they have better ideas. But that's not what it says. What it says is, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Don't worry, pretty soon all these publishing companies will change that word. Okay? And so what this means is, my father was out preaching a lot on the circuit, and one, a couple of times he had men come up to him, not men, women, and they said, my husband is, is a salesman, and he has told me that I'm under his authority, and I'm, sleep, I'm to sleep with the buyer for a major client of his. He's told me to commit authority, uh, adultery, and I want to know, do you think I should do it, or do you think I should not do it? And my father... What do you think he said? Do you think he said, well, the wife is to obey her husband in everything? And see, this is the way this world is. It's so dishonest, so manipulative, so doggone lying that it tells you you have two choices. One is to not ever obey your husband when you have a better idea, and the other is to commit adultery. You know, those are the only two options Obey your husband in everything, including adultery, or be a rebel from hell. And, and the excluded middle, which is you say, no, husband, God comes before man. I will not commit adultery. But you know enough not to say when he says, honey, would you please bring me a black pen to say, husbands are to give themselves up for their wives. You're not giving yourself up for me. I'm giving myself up for you. Why should I have to bring you a black pen? I actually asked Mary Lee to bring me a black pen last night. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, so here's where we learn that if we deny what Scripture says about Adam and Eve, if we deny the meaning of Ezer, if we deny the word everything, if we deny the word submission, if we deny the meaning of the word kephale in Greek, helper, I mean head, all these things, when we deny them, what we are really doing is denying the authority of God. It is not about men and women. It is about Christ and the church. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Where does that come from? Husbands should, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Where does that come from? For no one ever hated his own flesh. Where does that come from? 
Eve was taken from Adam's rib. She was his flesh. And so again, we see this beautiful pointing to the relationship of Christ and his bride, the church, through the husband and wife. So if women are not subject to their husbands, if they refuse to be helpers to their husbands, what they are denying is the relationship of the church to God. I once had a wedding over at another church in town. It was a very sophisticated wedding. Everybody in the wedding thought very highly of themselves. They were all corporate leaders and educated, very highly educated people. And this was at a time when the leaders of the church really hated my guts. And so I preached on Hosea about how Gomer, Hosea's wife, was unfaithful to him. And I built on that and said, and this means if the bride comes to the point in her life where she gets sick, where she is weak, where she could become an alcoholic, we, we have no idea what's going to happen to this bride. Her husband is to love her. So afterwards, one of the relatives, before anybody came out of the sanctuary, came back into the foyer, you know, I'd put up, put up, and I was out in the foyer. And she came up to me and she said, why, why did you say, let's call the woman Jane, the bride Jane? Why did you say that Jane might become an alcoholic? And I, I said, no, 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 I wasn't saying that Jane might become an alcoholic. I don't think Jane will ever become an alcoholic. I was just simply saying that if she does, her husband is to love her. Well, why did you even use a negative illustration about the bride? And I said, well, because it was important that I have the bride be the one that was defective because... I was preaching from Hosea, and Hosea, it's Gomer who's defective, and Hosea is told to love her. Well, why would it be the woman? And I said, well, because in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, it's the woman who is put in the place of the people of God, and God is her husband, and she is not to commit adultery with idols. This is the theme all through the Old Testament prophets. Well, why would it be a woman? Well, I knew what was going to happen was in a minute or so, all of the people that hated me we're going to come out of that sanctuary and see this short, proper woman. She, she had a handmade dress on, I'm almost certain. She had a seamstress. This rich, proper, sophisticated woman. Blah, 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 blah. And they would know that I had failed again. And so I wanted to bring it to an end quickly. Because I didn't want to go through that humiliation of having some dignified older woman angry at me in front of everybody, you know? Can you give me that weakness? And so I looked at her and I said, ma'am, when this bride and this groom go to bed tonight, one of them has the organ of penetration. The other has the organ of reception. And this is because we don't take the initiative with God, but he takes the initiative with us. Now, is that clear to everyone here? And do you know what happened? <laughs> that large-mouth frog became a small-mouth frog. <laughs> the minute I started saying that, she was like, oh, okay, thank you, and she was gone. I mean, I was Scott clear, it was all over, you know. Biology is destiny! Helpmate. 
and he is to love his wife. And they're equal, equal, equal. Okay? This is the teaching of Scripture. This is what God did. Okay? And you go to the first two chapters of Scripture. In the beginning, God. No, no, in the beginning, Gaia. In the beginning, Mother Earth. In the beginning, the Big Band. In the beginning, smart cosmologists and astrophysicists like me. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. Oh, nope, 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 nope. Evolved, banged, something, but not created, not God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Nope, 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 don't multiply, don't be fruitful, and don't fill the earth, because the earth is already full, and I ain't going to do it. And he said to him, subdue, govern the earth. I give you the earth to be your territory. You're to guard and protect it. He said, nope, 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 walk into the motel room, and there's the sign right in front of you. Save the earth. From whom? From you, you white North American pig, you man. How dare you use the water? How dare you dry yourself with that towel? Everything that's wrong in the universe is your fault. If we just got rid of men and let the state of nature prevail, we would have the pristine wilderness and then everything would be okay again. You know? You, you know? You know? You know? Oh, yeah, you know, you know, you know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, be fruitful and multiply, and he made them male and female. No, 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 no. We got metrosexuals, we got butch, we got every variety of polymorphous perversity. You know? I don't have a calling sexually. I just have a gender, and that's my choice. In the beginning, God created male and female. He created, and, he, and he called her a helpmate. Nope, 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 not a helpmate. I'm a companion. And it's like, do you have any way of understanding this world we live in other than reading the first two chapters of Genesis? And the minute you read the first two chapters of Genesis, everything about our world becomes clear. Because we then understand that our world hates God. We hate him. We will not submit to his creation order at any place. And I say to you, he's going to win. He was in the beginning, and he will be there at the end. And the little baby who came as the Lamb of God, humble in a manger, will return. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every eye will see him. And the trumpets shall sound. And the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. And you know what that means? That means that in heaven, when Christ returns, you will be, are you ready for this? Sorry, I have to do it. You will be naked and unashamed. 
Now, you choose your world. You choose your world. You want a world of femininity and masculinity, of male and female. You want a world that's fruitful and multiplies. You want a world where you are to guard and protect God's good creation, where you know the name of every animal. Do you want a world where in the beginning God? Do you want a world where God created? Do you want a world where God placed his image and likeness in man alone? Do you want a world of peace between husband and wife? Do you want a world where the husband loves his wife? And the wife respects her husband. Or do you want what your newspapers and your Google Google News page are filled with? (laughs) And the courts. I don't think it's a choice. I don't think it's a choice. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to all who believe. You try to separate Genesis 2 from the gospel, you are a lunatic. There is no better news for us today after the atonement than the news that he made the male and female. What a balm for this sin-sick world we live in. Okay, let's pray. Oh, Father God, we are all sinners. We do not love you as we ought. We do not submit as we ought. We do not honor your word and know it as we ought. But, Father, we are your children with our arms up saying, Daddy, Father, help us. Father, help us not to recoil from the truths of your word in Genesis 1 and 2. Help us to embrace them, to give ourselves to them, to love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.